Hi, you're listening to Conversations with Musicians with Leah Roseman. In episode 14, season 1, I spoke with violinist and educator Supadra Vijay Kumar, who's based in Mississauga, Canada. Supadra loves to teach people about the Indianization of the violin, and in this conversation we get to hear her beautiful playing quite a bit as she plays and demonstrates some of the guiding principles of the Carnatic style, which is the classical music of southern India. All of these episodes are available as videos, and the link is in the description. Hi, welcome to Subhadra Vijay Kumar from Mississauga, Canada. And um, welcome, and you have agreed to play something for us at the beginning of our conversation. Sure, thanks, Leah. And I'm going to play uh, an invocatory piece that I play at the beginning of all my concerts. Um, it's a Carnatic South Indian classical composition uh, in the language of Sanskrit um, uh, called Sri Gananathan Bajari, and it's dedicated to um, the elephant-headed god Ganesha. Uh, many of you might be familiar with him, and he removes all obstacles, and it's always a good idea to invoke his blessings in the beginning. Uh, and the meaning of the song goes that He's worshipped in the faultless hearts of those uh, devoid of passion and jealousy. And his father signifies rhythm and his mother, the energy. And he's worshipped by all the gods. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's set to a three-beat cycle called Rupagataram. Um, Tala means a rhythmic meter or formula. And Raga means the melody. And so the Raga is in Ishamanohari. Um, so those who are familiar with Carnatic South Indian classical music uh, will know that the music revolves entirely around melody and rhythm, and chords are really used. <laughs>
Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. So some of our listeners will be watching this on video and some people will be listening to the podcast version. So maybe you can describe for them how it is you play that's different from Western style. Sure. Um, I mean, this is my mission actually to gain uh, worldwide recognition for the Carnatic style of playing the Western violin. So the violin, as you can see, is identical to the Western violin. And this Indianization happened about 300 years back when uh, South Indian musicians came into contact with the British bands uh, that were playing in their cities and um, because India was a colony of the British um, and um, you know, some leading uh, musicians and composer families, they uh, recognize that the violin has a potential uh, because of its range of octaves and its closest uh, approximation to human voice and how they did um, the adaptation was uh, obviously changing the playing position. So the back of the violin rests against my left shoulder and um, I'm sitting cross leg and, and the scroll of the violin is placed on my right ankle. Um, so it rests here and this gives me an unencumbered left hand which, with which to play uh, musical ornamentations that are so characteristic of uh, Carnatic music called gamakas. Mm -hmm. And so this 300-year-old tradition has been continuing and from being an accompanying instrument, it has evolved to being the solo instrument. Mm -hmm. And often used with the voice as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Still accompanying instrument for voice, for the flute, um, sometimes even for the mandolin. That's another Western instrument mm -hmm. that's been Indianized um, because the structure of our concerts is there's like the main artist, whether it's a vocalist or an instrumentalist, and the violin gives support, um, melodic and rhythmic support. And then there is the double-headed drum, the mridangam, which gives a rhythmic support entirely. Mm -hmm. So this is the ensemble for a concert, at a minimum, three people. Um, and then the violin is tuned to the constant drone that you hear in my um, Shruti box. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about how the strings are tuned. Oh, yeah. So beginning with the um, leftmost string, uh, uh, it's the tonic, what we call sound, and this is the dominant, pa, and then a tonic octave higher. So, so... And the tonic is variable. I mean, I have tuned it to F. Mm -hmm. um, if there are male singers, it would be uh, a lower pitch. If there's a female singer, it would go up to G sharp, A. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the Western tuning classically is E A D G. Mm -hmm. This is that's how we have adapted the, by changing the tuning and the playing position. For example, if you take the major scale. Uh, here, if you give a gamaka in the second and the, and the sixth note, it gives a raga called Shankara Bharanam.
there are thousands of ragas because uh, with the seven notes that you have um, and and the minor and the major and and, and you apply permutations and combinations um, I think there are rarely you have ragas with just four notes. You need to have five at a minimum, a pentatonic scale, um, and thereafter there is like comment. So we so the raga is identified by its um, ascending and descending scale. So you know what notes appear in the raga. For example, in Shankara Bharanam, uh, it's Sarika do re mi fa and then there are ragas which might take uh, five notes in the ascending scale and all the seven in the descending so that's another raga called pilahari so So you can uh, 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 realize how uh, the notes can give rise to any number of ragas. And can you speak about the rhythm, which is such an integral part of your music as well, and how people are taught that? Oh yes, so um, right from the beginning, uh, when you start off the beginner lessons the scales, um, you start off with the minor scale where um, so this is an raga called maya madava gaulai and um so the the tala applied is a is an eight piece cycle called adi tala. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that goes as so you first tap. Okay, one, two, three, four, and then five, and then turn over six. Wave, tap again seven, eight. So it's set to an eight beat cycle. So so that will be the very first lesson and then there are combinations of that um, giving rise to the first set of 14 lessons. Uh, for example, you would do Sari, 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 Gama. So Sari, Sari is four, and then Sari, Gama is four more, so it becomes eight. And then you have to do Sari, Gama, Padanisa again from the first lesson. So that would be lesson two. Mm -hmm. where every note takes one beat and they will always be in multiples of eight. That is Aditara. And then you have a three beat cycle called Rupagataram. Um, so the, the composition I played in the beginning was set to Rupagataram. 
if you actually go to see uh, all of music revolves re essentially around these notes it's just a treatment that's different you know mm -hmm. uh, in western classical you use different kind of ornamentations we use different ornamentations and and you saw how major scale is transformed into mm -hmm. shankara um, so in folk music anything goes in a sense mm -hmm. um, they will adapt from different ragas introduce different tunes maybe even change the rhythm mm -hmm. uh, but but all of uh, of your folk music is based on uh, classical you know basic raga patterns and, and rhythms mm -hmm. so i know you have a very interesting personal story and i want to hear about your life and your teaching and performing but before that could you play us another tune sure Okay, I'll play uh, a composition um, in a raga called uh, Valachi. It's a pentatonic scale. Um, and I'll start off with a little bit of improvisation, the free-flowing improvisation. Um, and it's an, uh, it's again follows a three-beat cycle, Rupa Gitaram. It's called Jalandara, and it's dedicated to the uh, female goddess. Thank you. 
Beautiful. Thank you. That Just, was a pentatonic scale, uh, taking these notes in the ascending and descending. So that was without the gamakana. And one more nerdy question uh, from a fellow violinist. Do you um, think in terms of positions when you change, when you're sliding up and down? Uh, meaning exactly? Well, with Western violin, we talk about first, you know, all the way up to 10th position or beyond. So we, we really codify it in our minds that this distance is this specific spot. But it seems to me it's different with your music. Uh, oh no, uh, the, the, the positions are specifying absolutely yeah. there. So even after you do the gamaka, mm -hmm. you have to land on that spot. Yeah. Um, for example, if I'm going back to the major scale, so, so mm -hmm. I'm going up to the next note, uh, and coming back and then, you know, some, some what you call quarter notes, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, but I am landing back on my reposition, for sure. Those yeah, positions yeah. are there. Uh, for example, you know, there's, um, there's a minor and a major for every note, right? Mm -hmm. And then... That, that's singular. So the way you talk about shifting, is it different? Like, is it, cause you know, we have like um, whole tones, right? So we'll do like second position, third position for people who aren't violinists or string players. So is it similar, but a little bit different the way you teach students to shift up and down the fingerboard? Like the names you use for the different positions. That's what I'm getting at. Uh, yes. So in, in the beginning, uh, beginning lessons in Maya Maro Gaude, and you don't introduce Gamaka until um, after almost a year's mm -hmm. uh, learning. Uh, so th these would be the positions, right? Okay. And, and when you start with your first, uh, what you call a rhythmic concert opener called a Varnam, mm -hmm. uh, the first Varnam we teach is in Shankarabharana. So we would teach them. And at this stage is when we introduce how to play like the song, like the mm -hmm. Sahityam. Uh, until now, many of the songs would take only individual bows for individual notes. Uh, but when you come, starting from the Varnam or even the compositions I played earlier, um, you have to uh, change the bow according to the word, mm -hmm. uh, uh, the script. Mm -hmm. So as you know, we don't have a concept of sheet music and learning. Mm -hmm. So our script is straight away the solfa notes. Um, and then the uh, the uh, the lyrics behind it. Mm -hmm. So so they would when they start the varnam. Um, so mm -hmm. 
that's what they are playing on the violin so just so it has to sound like the song mm -hmm. do you teach your students to sing while they're playing sometimes uh, all the time i mean okay. you have to, yeah, I, I mean, you don't have to have an amazing voice but you have to sing because um, it, it's so much easy to 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 learn your lessons you know, you, you, you're even in the car, you're in the shower, you can memorize the lessons. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the advantage of learning singing, whereas with the violin, you have to sit down, right? You know, mm -hmm. you have to give the violin time. And, and, it's, and it's so much more difficult. But to be able to do that, you have to sing and, and understand and prepare. Um, even even the, in the time, uh, the Tara signatures, for example, I'm, I'm, I'm preparing for a uh, recital, um, hopefully, uh, in, in September. And I was learning this song, which I had, had learned, almost taught it to myself 20 years back. And I'm sitting and playing, and I'm, and I'm convinced I'm right. And, but obviously, there was somewhere I was missing the Tada come. And so I, I immediately started singing it out. And then, you know, you record each line and then you you recognize where you have missed it because mm -hmm. if you miss even a little bit then it's it's not falling in that eight beat cycle mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. so singing is a must yeah sure I mean, you have to let go and of your inhibitions and sing and, and so you teach uh, Carnatic violin through the royal conservatory of music school and also through your um school the radha academy of Carnatic. Mm -hmm. So yes. I'll link all of that in the description of this um, conversation so people can see what you're up to in your upcoming concert and so on. And I'd love to hear about your personal story. Um, if you want to speak to uh, your journey to coming to Canada quite a long time ago. and Yeah, actually, it's all there in a, in a blog I wrote uh, when Canada turned 150 years. Um, uh, I felt like uh, putting down my experiences and I called it Canada 150, my journey to find my identity. You're probably... Yeah, I, I read it. Yeah, it was wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I, I have been, I started learning uh, the violin when I was 15 uh, back in India and um, my my guru, my teacher is no more. Her name was uh, Mrs. Vijayam Ramaswamy and she was a disciple of uh, the preeminent uh, uh, violinist Sangeeta Kalanithi, Professor T. N. Krishnan. Um, so uh, he's, uh, he also passed away last year. And um, uh, my entry into violin, I always quote the story, is very strange. Um, my, my father was a very practical person and uh, I felt I didn't have a good voice. My sisters were learning Carnatic vocal and I wanted to learn the violin. Uh, the Vina actually, because it's considered a very difficult instrument. So my father said, no, 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 no Vina, uh, go learn the violin. It's easy to dispose of. <laughs> so that was his, uh, uh, you know, practical uh, mentality. And and, and and so there were months when I didn't have a violin. It was like beg, borrow or steal from friends. And, and you know, because you need a violin to practice. Mm -hmm. That being said, my father, when he realized I'm really committed to this, he got me the uh, German violin uh, Roth copy that I use till today. And, and so um, so I, I started learning when I was 15 and, and through college years, school, you know, education was very important in our family to get a degree. And, and I 
did my MBA as well. But music was always part of me winning some prizes and intercollegiate competitions and that sort of some student concerts and things like that. So I got married and came in 1990 to Canada and uh, I had lost my mother just before my mm -hmm. marriage. So that was pretty uh, significant for me and coming here and adjusting. But uh, fortunately, the violin was there as a fallback. Um, and uh, I'm really grateful because um, I started a family soon. And, and so I was ended up being homebound and, and my husband used to travel on work and, and, and I had to Hey, I had this to sit and practice, and and uh, I remember my daughter was so um, supportive even as a child. I mentioned that in the blog, and you know, um, just to be playing around, and then I could take the violin and, and practice. And of course, if I had to do something more intense, I had to time it when she was sleeping or something. But overall, a very cooperative child. And, so I started teaching then itself to a few students who would come. Sometimes they would even look after her. So mm -hmm. I could, you know, teach their children. And I got more performances and, and you know, and then we, um, and when I thought, okay, things are going to be um, really taking off, um, I, I had an opportunity to go out to the West and accompany some vocalists. And, and we were moved to Singapore with my husband's work. And uh, over there, I actually, my Singapore uh, sojourn is, has been written. I just haven't published it yet, <laughs> my experiences over there. Um, and it, it was amazing for violin over there because it's, uh, it's a small island country. And, <laughs> and uh, so I got a lot of opportunities to play locally uh, for uh, Indian classical Bharatanatyam dance performances. Uh, even to go across to Malaysia and to, to Hong Kong as well. And uh, uh, my son was born over there, so I took a small break, but I was able to get back. Um, things are sometimes a lot easier in Asia or when you go closer to India, you know, there's a lot of like, people support available over there. Mm -hmm. So it was very good. And then we were moved to England after that. Mm -hmm. And that was really tough because we were, uh, quite uh, removed from the scene and in England is a pretty, pretty tough place to adjust. Mm -hmm. There was a Yehudi Menuhin school right close to where we lived in Surrey mm -hmm. and I was banging on their doors to give me an opportunity <laughs> to do something but that didn't work out but, uh, but since coming back uh, here in 2003 I embarked on my mission. Hey I want people to know about mm -hmm how the violin has been so masterfully Indianized and the kind of the level of concerts that take place when visiting artists come or there are very good artists here, three hour concerts where there's no concept of rehearsing. Mm -hmm. uh, mind you, they are at a very high level. So they know um, what uh, the main artist is going to sing or play. And mm -hmm. um, so, they just improv, give three-hour concerts. And so I got very good opportunities. I um, 
I became faculty at the Royal Conservatory in 2006. I started training directly under Professor Krishnan. I got a grant from the Canada Council for that. And he really uh, honed my skills. And I, uh, you know, today a lot of people compliment me on the tone of the violin. Um, and I owe it entirely to his, his rigorous training. Um, so I got to perform all across the GTA um, in Mississauga uh, the on the veranda series. Harbor Front when they had the classical strings um, uh, program. Um, uh, then there was the yeah, last one I remember uh, by the lakeside. That was a very memorable concert. Mm-hmm. Again, I mentioned I mentioned it in my blog uh, at the U of T Heart House. So and and I, I took it to different settings. Um, it's funny I played even at a bar in Etobicoke. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there's this uh, woman who runs a show, Deidre Malihe, that's her name. She runs a show on Omni TV. Um, and and uh, she has a very nice way of doing instead of straight away interviewing you or uh, something like that. She has you play before an audience to see the reaction. And so she said, um, this is at a bar. So I'm wondering, oh my God, I said classical music in a bar. What am I going to do? But I said, I will play one of our fast-paced uh, rhythmic numbers and, and hopefully that will click. And and so I, I just went. I didn't play with an accompaniment or anything. And I, the audience received it so well. And, and after that, there's two rock musicians who came and were so taken up with it. And I was really touched and I couldn't believe it. But again, it's music, right? So it's, it's universal if there is an element to it that's... Um, uh, appeals to people. So so I was able to take it to different places, be it on the veranda in Mississauga or, or uh, uh, in, in, in venues like a hot house. Or, uh, mm-hmm. I also got an opportunity to render the Canadian national anthem at, um, at the uh, Kerner Hall on the visit of the Aga Khan. Mm-hmm. So they wanted, uh, you know, the anthem to be rendered on a uh, non- Canadian instrument and mm-hmm. so there was an Asari and, and, um, so it's, it's, and um, another memorable opportunity was to go to Japan. Um, they were looking for some, there's probably heard of the Friendship Association, uh, like Mississauga City is twinned with Karia City mm-hmm. in central Japan and so we always have people going from here, a delegation of people visiting us from there. And they were looking for performers that year, 2011, uh, because it was the 30th uh, anniversary of the twinning. And um, there was an opening of a new city hall in Karia City, and they wanted us to play. So I auditioned, and, and I and uh, there was this other girl on piano. We were selected, and, and uh, so it was you know, very nice to take it. You know, all the way over there. And you've done some collaborations with um, non-Indian style musicians as well in the Toronto area? Oh yeah, I have. I have worked with uh, Anne Lederman. You may have heard of her. She's a fiddler um, and uh, also a conservatory uh, teacher. And um, she had wrote me in for a performance at, at um, what's that? Fort York. 
uh, yeah, uh, I think for the commemoration of the War of 1812. Mm -hmm. um, and then I had gotten uh, for uh, the Harbourfront series, um, uh, there was a Western classical violinist. I think, in fact, he was part of a, a Juno award-winning band. Um, and then there was um, uh, Ian Bell, um, and he played a multitude of instruments from the bagpipes to the guitar, and there was African-American uh, uh, Jacko Bacco, and then my, uh, my own uh, Mridangam accompaniment, uh, Arun Ramachandran. So there were five of, five of us, and another memorable fusion pieces. Again, I found, tried to find a common language. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, people ask me, oh, do you uh, then play other tunes or Western melodies? I said, no, um, I find the commonality uh, between uh, uh, a Western classical piece uh, or what I'm playing and, and link them together. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Well, it's been uh, really wonderful meeting you and, and learning about uh, Carnatic music. And I was wondering, if, would you be willing to leave us with one last tune? Sure. Usually, again, you begin with Lord Ganesha and, and then there are tunes and melodies, ragas that you play at the end. Mm -hmm. um, so this one is in a raga called Madhyamavati. It so happens I'm choosing all pentatonic scales today. Um, so. for world peace and, and all goodness that all of us are so much needing right now. Bhagyata Lakshmi Bharama, that's the name of the song. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Supadra. Thank you. Season one of this podcast had 20 episodes, and season two continues with a really interesting mix of musicians talking about their lives and careers with perspectives on overcoming challenges, finding inspiration and connection through a life so enriched with music. Please follow this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts to be informed about each new episode.